hope the uh, words of that song are true to your heart, and if they are not, they will be by the end of the service today. Um, <clears throat> as you may hear in my voice, I'm a little bit under the weather, as they say. Um, I appreciate all the love and prayers and support I've gotten this morning, and uh, we will, uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we will enter this word. I was uh, thinking this morning as I was uh, getting up and getting ready and a little slow on the uptake, I was thinking of uh, the Apostle Paul and went what he went through, and yet he continued to preach, and I figured I, I couldn't wimp out on that. So, um, one thing that I want to share with you, um, every Sunday, you hear Skip or I, and sometimes Tom, <clears throat> say, uh, Skip, can you play the video? And Skip is a guy who's uh, kind of locked in a dark room in the very back. Hi, Skip. Uh, Skip retired this past Tuesday, and so uh, we just want to wish Skip well. Now, we know that as Christians, we never retire from the Lord's service. Um, he's just retired from the service to the state, so uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we will wish him well in that. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the last several weeks have, uh, have seen Frank give some pretty lousy jokes. Um, so I'm, uh, <laughs> what's wonderful is he's here. So I get, <laughs> yeah. So I actually have two jokes for you uh, this morning. Um, they're, they're actually good. So, uh, w- yeah. <laughs> we'll see. All right, I won't bet my paycheck on it, but we'll, we'll see. So uh, an engineer dies, and he reports to the pearly gates. St. Peter's checks his records, and not seeing his name there, he accidentally sends him to hell. It doesn't take long before the engineer becomes rather dissatisfied, as you would expect, with the level of comfort in hell. And so he can, starts to build and design improvements. Shortly thereafter, hell has air conditioning, flush toilets, and escalators. Needless to say, the engineer is a pretty popular guy. One day, Satan calls God and says, and God says, so how are things in hell? And Satan replies, things are going great. We have air conditioning, flush toilets, and escalators, and there's no telling what this engineer is going to come up with next. What, God exclaims? You've got an engineer. That's a mistake. He never should have been sent to hell. Send him to me. Satan laughs and says, not a chance. I have an engineer, and I like the stuff he's doing, and I'm keeping him. And God insists, you better send him to me, or I'll sue. Satan laughs and says, yeah, right, and where are you going to find a lawyer? was good, right? All right, well, since we're getting a rather heavy topic, I figured I'd give you a second one, and the second one I think I can get away with, so you'll understand at the end of this why you think I can get away with it, or I think I can get away with it. So anyway, millennials ago, God came down to the Germans, and he said, I have commandments that will help you to live better lives. The Germans ask, what's a commandment? 
And the Lord says there are rules for living. The Germans say, can you give us an example? God said, thou shalt not kill. Not kill? We're not interested. So God went to the Italians next, and he said, I have commandments. The Italians wanted an example. The Lord said, thou shalt not steal. Not steal? We're not interested. Next, the Lord went to the French. I have commandments. The French said, I need an example. And the Lord says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. French were definitely not interested. God then went to the Jews, and he said, I have commandments. Commandments, said the Jews. How much are they? They're free. We'll take 10. I can't wait to see what he comes up with next week. <laughs> that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Actually, you know what he's going to do is tomorrow we're going to be meeting. He's going to go, you got some jokes for me? <laughs> So anyway, uh, this past week obviously was Thanksgiving, and I pray that everybody had a great time visiting family and friends and hopefully didn't overeat. Um, I certainly didn't, but anyway, Thanksgiving is an interesting holiday. George Washington actually uh, was set, set this or established this as a national holiday on October 3rd, 1789, and here are the words that he wrote. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress, this is interesting, have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God. Interesting. A thankful heart is so important today. And today we're going to be hearing from, I think, one of the men who had perhaps the most thankful heart of all time, the Apostle Paul. Paul was thankful despite his circumstances. In fact, here is what he talks about, about those circumstances in 2 Corinthians. I have worked harder been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rod, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from the river and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the desert, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to be kept warm. Paul's trials and his circumstances of his life didn't dictate his thankfulness. This morning, we are going to continue our study in the book of Philippians as we dive into perhaps a challenging section of Paul's writings. I would ask that we keep an open mind as we look into what Paul shares about his ultimate goal. But it's not only his ultimate goal, it really should be each one of ours. That is death. 
our true purpose. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this very day. Lord, we are called to be thankful in all circumstances, Lord. And Father, as we just heard about the Apostle Paul's circumstances, Father, ours pale in comparison. But Father, we cannot be thankful in our own strength. We cannot be thankful trying to create our own circumstances. Father, we can only be thankful with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come this morning and you would move in a powerful way. Father, I thank you for this time of worship that we had, that we were to enter your, thank, your gates with thanksgiving, with arms raised high. We cry out to the one, the one who gives us life. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Now, Lord, I ask that the word would go forth in a powerful way. Lord, uh, there is nothing that I have to offer this morning. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me afresh from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. Father, my body just feels wasted, but Father, your spirit is strong. So I ask that you would just move and do what only you are capable of doing. We just praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Purpose. We all look for a purpose. Without it, we wander. In Lewis Carroll's uh, book, Alice in Wonderland, Skip, you can put up the picture. Alice asks the Cheshire cat, would you tell me please which way I ought to go from here? The cat replies, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. I don't much care where, says Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, says the cat. You're sure to get somewhere if only you walk long enough. Where are you going? I think so often in life we have no idea where we're going. How often have we sat back and contemplated how we possibly got here? Essentially, the Cheshire cat was asking Alice, without direction, how do you know where to go? Without a destination, how do you know how to get there? Zig Ziegler, Skip, you can put up his picture. Ziegler was one of the preeminent motivational speakers of all times. He wrote over two dozen books, including Born to Win, Secrets to Closing the Sale, and Better Than Good. He had many famous quotes, some of which have entered the lexicon of the success-minded. He claimed to be a follower of Christ, and I'm not here to debate that. He did, however, have some very interesting quotes. These include, remember that failure is an event, not a person. People often say motivation doesn't last, neither does bathing. That's why we recommend it daily. I like that one. If you go looking for a friend, you're going to find they're scarce. If you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. Your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine your altitude. I'm actually surprised I said that right. (laughs) And if you can dream it, you can achieve it. But perhaps the best quote from Zig is, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it every time. The truth that Zig Ziegler and the Cheshire Cat shared is that without direction, without our purpose, without a goal, you will inevitably fail. 
the Apostle Paul shares with us his goal in the scripture that we're looking at today. Skip, can you put up Philippians 1? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. Paul here answers the question, why am I here? What is my life all about? Who do I live for? What is my purpose? Paul here reminds us that we are here to have eternity in our sights. What are you living for? What am I living for? Our answer to that question will determine the direction of our lives. If your purpose is wrong, your direction will be wrong. If your purpose is vague or fuzzy, your direction will be fuzzy. If you don't know your purpose, you'll be swept along by the currents of our age, doing what seems to bring you happiness. It's crucial that you be clear and correct in answering the question, what are you living for? The correct answer to that question must include some thoughts about the facts of death and what lies beyond. It must also include the consideration of the uncertainties of this life so that whenever death may come, it doesn't thwart our purpose. As Christians, our goal Our purpose, our very reason for living is to hear what the faithful servant heard from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. For Paul, the eternal reward is his purpose. He's essentially saying, I'm better off dead. But was Paul suicidal? So fed up with the trials of this life that he just wanted it to be over? Was he looking for suicide by Caesar? I don't think so. For Paul, to go on living or to die is not a choice between the lesser of two evils. Paul didn't view life as difficult and a trial to be endured with death being a difficult thing as well, but perhaps just a little bit easier or a release from his life. Rather, he viewed life as a progressive joy with Christ and death an even greater joy because he would see Jesus face to face and be with him for eternity. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy, Skip, can you put that up? For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Hmm. So do you crave his appearing? See, if you don't, you will fundamentally miss the very point of our lives, the very essence of being a Christian. Let's take a look back at the key scripture this morning. Go back to Philippians 1, thank you. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Do you see it? Do you see it in the very scripture and what Paul is writing? The gain of death is the result of living for Christ. To live is Christ. The apostle Paul was clear and focused on his purpose. 
I believe that the purpose for which he lived is the only purpose that takes eternity into account. So that whether we live a long life or whether it's cut short, that purpose will be fulfilled. In short, Paul's purpose is for me to live as Christ. Every person who professes Christ as Savior must grapple with the very question, can I honestly say that? Can I say for me to live as Christ? If I can say yes, then I have also answered the fundamental question, what then about death and what lies beyond? For if the answer to the first is yes, the answer to the second is it will be gain. Our death will be gain if our life is for Christ. Can you truly say that? Can I truly say that? We need to be honest in examining ourselves, our lives before the Lord. So what does it mean to live Christ? To live Christ means that to live in union with Christ so that he becomes my all in all, as that song just said. The concept of being in Christ was so vital to Paul's understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. He addresses this letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. The instant a person truly becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, he is joined in a living, real union with Christ, the head of the body, the church. To be in Christ means that all that is true of Christ is true of us. As Paul writes in Romans 6, Skip, can you put it up? The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Hmm. The believer, us, we are in union with Christ. While that's our true standing before God, we must grow in our experience of the reality of that standing so that in our daily lives, we live in fellowship with Christ, communing with him and depending on him for everything. It means growing to know Christ intimately. It means growing to love Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means submitting all of my thoughts, emotions, words, and deeds to the lordship of Christ so that I seek to please him always, always. It means growing to experience Christ as my all in all. Every aspect of my life must be centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious person of Christ and nothing less. That's the Christian life. Please take note that I didn't say to grow in knowledge. As Frank pointed out several weeks ago, we have far more knowledge now than we have ever had in any time in history. And yet the church continues to fall victim to the blowing winds of our culture. We don't need knowledge. We need wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of information. Wisdom is the application of biblical principles, the biblical truths in our lives. Of course, our experience of living Christ is a process that never is fully realized in this life. As Paul says in 
further on in Philippians, not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Even the most godly Christians have time when Christ seems distant and the soul is dull and sluggish. In this life, we never reach a point where we are not tempted by sin, where we do not have to battle lusts of the flesh, lusts of the eyes, boastful pride of life. But each of us who are truly children of God will have our focus to live in an experiential way the fact of our union with Christ so that he does become our all in all. Christ is really all we need. He is all we will ever need. We must grow to experience him, to know what it means to live Christ. So the question is, how do we possibly do this? To live Christ means to exalt Christ through everything that we do. Can you bring back Philippians 1.20? I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Hmm. This is just another way of staying the great goal of the Christian life, which is to glorify God by everything we are and everything that we do. To glorify God in common language means to make God look good, as he truly is good. We may think Christ is the almighty God, creator of the universe. How can I possibly glorify him? What can I possibly do to exalt him? Well, here's an illustration. Think of God as being a distant star. That star may be more brilliant than our own sun, but to the human eye, it just appears dim, a speck in the night sky. To many in this world, Christ is that way. He is the very splendor of God, brighter than a million suns, but the world doesn't see him that way. Our responsibility is to be a telescope to bring that truth about Christ into the full view of the unbeliever. Through us, and especially through how we handle trials, Christ is magnified to a skeptical, unbelieving world. In view of Paul's circumstances, it is remarkable that his main focus was not on getting released from prison, but rather on exalting Christ Whether he lived or died wasn't even the issue. All that mattered to Paul was that he exalted Christ. Paul wanted to be saved, if you will, from being found to be a hypocrite. He wanted to be vindicated. He was saying to the Philippians who were, he was asking for prayer to pray for him as God's spirit enabled him. He would be delivered from denying Christ and disgracing the gospel at his trial before Caesar. If he could do that, then he would be vindicated in the ultimate court, the one that really matters, and that's as he stands before the Lord. By exalting Christ, even through martyrdom, if need be. The only cause for Paul to be ashamed would be not to hear well done from Christ when he stood before him. 
Verse 20 here reminds us that the way we exalt Christ is through our bodies. This is a comprehensive and a very practical concept. It means that we may, we may either exalt or bring shame to his name by, by our attitudes, our words, and our behavior. How do you use your eyes? A lustful glance at a woman or even a sexy picture does not exalt Christ. How do you use your ears? Do you listen to music that defiles you or music that exalts Jesus? Do you listen to gossip or slander? How do you use your hands, your tongue, your feet? How about your countenance? Do you use your body in purity or for sensuality? What about your personal appearance? Do you dress to be seductive or to attract attention to yourself? Or do you exalt Christ? See, to live Christ means to exalt him through everything that we do. It also means that we die to selfish desires in order to serve others for Christ's sake. Paul's desire was to check out. That was clear. He wanted to depart and to be with his Christ. But he also realized that the Philippians and others needed his ministry. So he was willing to deny his desires for the sake of serving others for Christ's sake. Of course, the final decision wasn't Paul's at all. It was really with the Lord. But Paul was willing to live on in it, in fruitful service, if that's what the Lord wanted him to do. Paul's focus suggests two things for us. First, if you're not denying self in order to serve Christ, you're not living Christ. You're living for yourself. Many people today have the notion that Christ is here to serve me rather than I'm here to serve Christ. It's entered into the church as well and they think that the church is here to meet their needs and if it doesn't, they drop out of the church and try to find another one that better meets their needs. We need to get back to the biblical truth, church, that we have been saved to serve Christ, not the other way around. If everybody here who attended this church had this mindset, we'd have a waiting list of people to, serve, to teach in Sunday school, school, excuse me, and our small groups would be overflowing. It's a radical thought. It's a wonderful thought. Second application, Christians should challenge the American notion of retirement. And we just gave Skip a, a, a ovation for retirement. So Skip, listen up. the idea that when you finally reach a point where you don't have to work, that you're free to live for self and pleasure is completely contrary to the word. Anything that the Lord gives us, we are to manage for him, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. As long as he gives us health and strength, we should ask, how can I serve him? Charles Simeon, a British preacher of the past century, worked long and hard for Christ. Late in life, he said this, I cannot, run, I cannot but run with all my might, for I am close to the goal. Thus, to live Christ means to live in union with him, so that he is my all in all, to exalt him in all I do, 
to die to self so that I may serve him. So how do we do this? We live Christ by daily fellowship with him, by seeking to exalt him, by dying to self in order to serve him. But also we live Christ by making him our constant aim. Paul clearly was determined to live Christ as his sole aim. He expressed it elsewhere in slightly different terms, but with the same idea in 1 Corinthians, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, further on in Philippians. One thing I do, I press on towards the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Christ was Paul's constant aim. As Christians, we need to honestly evaluate our lives in light of this aim. It's easy to fall into living for good things, but not for the best things. God graciously blesses us with our families, friends, homes, possessions, work, leisures, and enjoyments. But if we're not careful, these good things become the things for which we're living. Even those of us who are in ministry can begin living for our ministry. We need to keep asking ourselves, what if this thing, this person, this activity, this whatever were taken from me? Certainly, it would be difficult if, like Job, I lost my children, my health, and my possessions. But if I'm truly living for Christ, I'll be able to come through any tragedy without despair because he can't be taken from me. So I must constantly evaluate my life asking, is Christ at the very center? Is he truly my all in all? We also live Christ through prayer and through the provision of the Holy Spirit. Paul was a man of prayer, but he also freely solicited the prayers of others for him. We tend to think of Paul as naturally bold, but he often asks for prayer that he would be bold in his witness because he knew that he was weak. To live Christ, we need much prayer. But also Paul needed the provision of the Holy Spirit. You have heard it said many times from this pulpit, the Christian life isn't hard, it's possible. The Christian life is impossible to live in the power of the flesh. We must walk by the Spirit every day, depending on him for our strength. Paul was facing possible execution and wanted to be a faithful witness. The same Spirit is available to us so that we can live Christ in all of our situations, no matter how difficult they feel. Living Christ certainly must be our aim. As we move to communion shortly, let me give you the challenge. Have you sought to live Christ? If so, then to die will be gain as it was for Paul. So a Christian has the best of both worlds. Even if we suffer now, we have Christ to strengthen, sustain, comfort, and encourage us. If Christ is real to our souls, what more could we want? And when we die, we are present with the Lord for all eternity, freed from all sin 
and pain and death. It may be sad for those who are left behind and we may, leave, we may miss the loved ones who have gone before us. But we have God's promise. That is First Thessalonians. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we, that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. If we have sought to live Christ, then the life we live will be lived with purpose and dying will be gain because we will be with him. We truly cannot lose. Skip, can you play the video?